Holy Scripture this morning to Genesis 39. In light of our consideration last Sunday of the Seventh Commandment, I made a passing reference in that sermon to Joseph. I thought this week that on this occasion... I would call attention to this incident in Joseph's life also for the sake of our young people and young adults. Genesis 39. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat, And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. Now the rest of the chapter is where we will focus our attention this morning. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master... Whateth knoweth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and speak unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Egyptian, a Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass, when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled out. 
And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because that the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, this passage and others in Scripture are a healthy reminder to us not to look down upon young people in Christ's church just because they don't have the experience in life that we have. God uses them sometimes as outstanding godly examples for all of us. Joseph stands before us in the Bible as an example of faith, of suffering for righteousness' sake, and of the power of God's preserving grace. God the Savior reveals himself in the history of Jacob's generations, accomplishing his sovereign purpose, even though Joseph's brothers meant it for evil. And therefore the history can serve as a great encouragement to us as we trust the hand of our faithful father. We ought to remember the context of God's revelation with everything pointing to Christ in the Old Testament. And God had told Abraham many years before in Genesis chapter 15 that his seed would become a stranger in a land not their own. Israel would be subject to bondage for 400 years. And God, God said, And also that nation whom thou shalt serve will I judge. And afterwards they, that is my people, will come out with great substance. That nation, as would become clear, would be Egypt. That bondage in Egypt, which was yet to come from the viewpoint of the history we are considering, was to serve as Israel's salvation, to serve Israel's salvation in Jesus Christ. So here they were, wanderers in the land of Canaan, surrounded by wickedness on every side, wickedness that had already worked its cancerous influence even in Jacob's own sons. His own sons walked in the ways of the world, even becoming infamous for their behavior. And when you see that context, then you realize there's another aspect to God bringing his people out of the land of Canaan and into Egypt. 
If God's people had remained in Canaan among the Canaanites, it would not be long and they would have been totally consumed by the world. The history of the church clearly demonstrated the danger. Even in the generations prior to the time of the flood, when the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and took them wives of all that they chose, we read in Genesis 6. Fellowship with unbelief leads to relationships which bring about the devastating disillusion of God's people in their generations. And God, therefore, in faithfulness to his promise to accomplish the realization of his purpose, would lead his people to Egypt that there they might live apart by themselves and grow into a great nation. In the more immediate context, however, there's another purpose that God is accomplishing here in this history. Remember, Joseph's great affliction was an affliction not just his own, but that of his father, Jacob. When Jacob's sons presented him with that bloody coat that had belonged to his son Joseph, they deceived their father into thinking that Joseph had been torn apart by a wild beast. And Jacob was thrown into deep sorrow. He would not be comforted for the death of his son Joseph so fiercely did his soul cling to Joseph. Joseph was the one who in Jacob's mind was the one from whom the Messiah would come. And that was the problem. Jacob looked upon Joseph as the one in whom the promise of God rested. Joseph, after all, was the only son who set himself apart as truly godly. But Joseph was not the one from whose loins the Messiah would come. And only in this school of great affliction would Jacob be trained by God to make the prophetic announcement at the appointed time of the pro- as the prophet of the Most High, Judah, thou art he whom that Thy brethren shall praise, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh shall come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. So it was also for that important purpose that God removed Joseph from Jacob for a time. But behind it all was this, Jehovah would lead his people out of the cruel bondage of Egypt in order to bring them out by a wonder of grace, a picture of the salvation of the church throughout history by Jesus Christ from the cruel bondage of sin and death. In the chapter before us today, therefore, we find Joseph in Egypt. The merchant men who had bought Joseph from his brothers for 20 pieces of silver, sold him for a profit to a man named Potiphar. 
And it's evident from Genesis 39 that Potiphar was an important man. In our day, he would probably be referred to as the head of the secret service or some high-ranking law official who has direct contact with the president. Potiphar was likely the highest-ranking officer over the guard, the, the king's bodyguard, and obviously a very wealthy man. We ought to notice immediately that the Lord takes care that his children arrive at exactly the place where he purposes. Joseph wasn't sold merely to reach Egypt. But he's brought to Egypt to be sold to a person who stands in direct connection with the king and who is able presently to throw Joseph into the same prison where offenders against the king are kept. Jehovah, by his counsel, is leading Joseph every step of the way. The ways of the Lord are often mysterious. We are unable from the point where we stand to see the connection between the way and the end. But in the life of Joseph, this truth is revealed to us just the same. Nothing happens by chance, but all things come by God's fatherly hand to you who love him. But not long after Joseph's arrival in Potiphar's house, he was sorely tempted. And Joseph was tempted with one of the strongest temptations known to a young man. So we find in Genesis 39, verses 7 through 23, Joseph faithfully fleeing fornication. Let's notice from this text, first of all, the strong temptation. Secondly, Joseph's amazing faithfulness. And finally, the remarkable outcome. The text very openly sets before us the strong temptation with which Joseph was confronted. Joseph was in the strength of his youth. He was 17 years old as as his life began to be unfolded before us in Genesis 37. So he was likely still 17, perhaps 18, when his brothers sold him as a slave. And we are told in Genesis 41 that he was 30 years old when he was delivered from prison to stand before Pharaoh. So at this time... He's approximately 20 years old, perhaps just a little older. So God makes known to us in the history of Joseph that the call to holiness belongs not just to the old, but to the young as well, to the young who face severe temptation. Youth is not a time for living for self, for pleasure indulging in the passions of our lust. God calls all his people to holiness. And in that walk, we shall be tested, tried sometimes even as it were with fire. 
And so it is here with Joseph. Joseph's personal appearance is called attention to in the passage, belongs to the occasion of this temptation, not that he brought the temptation upon himself, but the last part of verse 6 tells us Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. That is, he was a strong and handsome young man. Women of the world have their slaying expressions for such a man, just as men have their slaying descriptions for women. And we ought not speak the language of the world in that regard. But Joseph was very attractive to women. And more particularly in this case, to the wife of Potiphar, Joseph's master. We find here a matter that's frequently set before us and experienced in the church of Jesus Christ by you and by me in those areas where God has given us particular gifts, there we will find ourselves most tempted. A woman's beauty and a man's good-looking appearance can easily become their downfall. And the same holds true with other talents. Make sure that you use the gifts that God has given you to his glory. Otherwise, you are sure to find yourself in serious trouble. Joseph's personal appearance, given him by God, would serve in part an occasion for this fiery trial. In addition, Joseph had shown himself to be a man of tremendous talent. He had shown himself to be ambitious, hardworking, and very responsible. Joseph Potiphar was willing to entrust his entire household, his whole estate, and all his financial dealings into the hands of this young Hebrew. That's an astounding matter when you think about it. How tremendously noticeable must have been Joseph's gifts that he had received from God, as well as his spiritual perspective of of all things. Obviously, he showed himself faithful to God in his subjection to his master. He served Potiphar with complete faithfulness, not as a man-pleaser, but for God's sake. So that we read in this chapter that Potiphar didn't even know the affairs of his estate, didn't know his financial situation, so extensively had he committed all things to the hands of Joseph. And Potiphar could see that things were prospering greatly under Joseph's care and stewardship. So we see in verse 5 that Potiphar saw this prosperity and he knew that Jehovah had prospered this Hebrew. Now Potiphar had to know that because Joseph told him. So it becomes evident that not only did Joseph live in obedience to God, but he also testified of his relationship to Jehovah. It ought to be evident that Joseph 
lived and resisted temptation as a man's man. Again, it's a very worldly perspective and totally wrong that says that a young man, in order to be macho, has to fornicate. Don't let the world mess with your minds, young people. Joseph was a man's man. But because of his relationship to Jehovah, he resisted temptation. He had a strength far beyond that of a fornicating young man who's seduced by the beauty of a worldly woman. And a young woman who maintains her virginity, saving herself for her husband as God requires of her, is a woman with far more strength and beauty than that of what the Bible calls a whorish woman. To flee temptation is nothing to be ashamed of. It shows strength when it's done for God's sake. We also must note concerning this temptation that Joseph was in this situation in total innocence. This temptation did not come upon him because he was in a place where he had no business being. He wasn't with the ungodly in the neighborhood nightclub. He wasn't dancing with the women of Egypt. Nor was he spending time alone with a woman, putting himself in temptation. He was in Potiphar's house, simply doing what duty required of him. And it's important that we understand that. We read in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 27 through 29, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth in to his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. If the temptation that Joseph faced here had been due to his own deliberate playing with fire, you can believe the outcome would have been much different. God must uphold us in the face of temptation. To him we prayed, lead me not into temptation. And if we deliberately place ourselves in circumstances of temptation, we cannot pray that prayer, and we cannot expect that God will deliver us from that evil. We may rather fear that he will give us over to the lusts of our flesh so that we fall deeply. The text makes explicit reference to the fact that Joseph was in the house to carry out his master's business. Nothing else. Moreover, it's apparent from verse 11 that it was customary that there were many servants in and around the house every day. When Joseph entered the house on this particular day, he did not realize that none of the men of the house was there at the time. And so we look now at the powerful temptation that Joseph faced. 
He faced this temptation not once, but many times. We are told in verse 10 that the temptress spoke to Joseph day by day. The wife of the rich Potiphar, who herself was undoubtedly a beautiful woman physically, though ugly as sin spiritually, cast her eyes upon Joseph, we read, and said, come lie with me. And when Joseph refused the first time, she continued day by day to beg him shamelessly to defile her marriage bed. And the Bible relates her seductions in a very simple and straightforward way. It isn't the purpose to excite our imaginations with details. But you know here there was more than just the simple spoken word. The writer of the Hebrews spells out the ways of such a woman when he's, when he's cautioning his son. She's very smooth in her approach. She reveals herself a little at a time. She attempts to draw the man unto her with her eyes and with her words and with her bodily gestures. And this wife of Potiphar expressed this same adulterous desire and placed this temptation before Joseph. We also know very well, even as Scripture itself reveals it, that the sexual desire is one of the strongest earthly desires, especially in youth. God created us that way in order that we might serve Him. But now that natural desire is strongly affected by sin. God instituted the marriage bond as the release for that desire. And he calls husbands and wives to give expression to that desire in the undefiled marriage bed, also for the purpose of gathering his church in the line of continued generation. But when that desire is confronted outside the realm of marriage, it remains a powerful desire and inflames the lust of the flesh. We have to remember that even though Joseph was a covenant youth and strong in the faith, he was a young man of flesh. He possessed the same desires of any young man. His flesh was naturally pulled toward such enticements as he faced here. And there are several factors that add to the strength of the temptation, you can be sure. The very fact that the temptress was persistent in her attempts to seduce him made this temptation all the more powerful. And with the repeated attempts, Joseph was able to give much thought to the situation. And you know, I'm sure, by your own experience, how the devil, that great deceiver, attempts to work in our minds. He would have us figure out some way in which we can indulge our lusts while avoiding any consequences. 
That's how the devil pulls us in times of temptation. Still more, Joseph's far away from family. He's far from anyone to hold him accountable. There are no elders of the church who might find out if he yields to temptation. But adding to the strength of the temptation is the very environment in which Joseph lived as a young man. Egypt was full of fornication and adultery. It was rampant in Egypt. The influence of such culture is obviously a temptation. It's exactly that influence that you young people and young adults face today. You know what goes on in the world. You know the prevalent fornication in our culture, the emphasis on sex. I pray that you're not playing with fire. One has to be but we, we live in the midst of this fornicating world, and one has to be spiritually blind not to notice. And that violation of the holy marriage covenant is even seen within the church, which is why we heard the preaching of the seventh commandment last Sunday. And it's one thing that the world practices fornication openly and without shame, but more and more that sin is seen within the church. Don't think that Joseph didn't come under the same influences. The covenant community in Joseph's day was influenced by these sins. That was true even among his own brothers. So it is in our day to a significant degree, sexual sin in every form is found in Christendom, husbands and wives, divorce for every cause, take up with another woman or another man, living in adultery before the face of God. And it's important that you young people understand and are reminded of that the standard for your life and the standard for, you, for my life is not what everyone else is doing. It's not even what everyone in the church is doing. Your standard for living before God's face, the standard of that straight and narrow way that leads to heaven, and therefore the life that is ours in Christ, is the word and will of God. That's all. And it's on that basis that Joseph withstood the temptation, the strong temptation, that this woman lay before him. In the face of this temptation, the youthful Joseph stood with an amazing faithfulness to God. We read in verse 8, he refused. Unwavering in his faithfulness to God, he said with determination, no, he refused. And such determination is absolutely necessary. Any wavering in the face of such powerful temptation will be fatal. There are those 
who say, no, I'm going to continue to play with the fire. Joseph knew that this was a temptation not to be played around with. He knew that his own lusts were such that he would certainly fall if he did not flee this temptation. He refused. And when she persisted day by day in her whorish behavior, pleading for him to come to bed with her, we read, he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. Tremendously difficult this situation was, undoubtedly. He had to work in this place. That wasn't an option to him. To go find another job. He was a slave. But he would not be a slave to sin. He fled fornication with resolution. He fled fornication in faithfulness to God. Decisively, without wavering, he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master knoweth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee for thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He made very clear to Potiphar's wife that what she wanted was great wickedness and sin against God. He explains just once. And from then on, he ignores her, and he avoids her as much as possible. And then the day comes that she traps him. He unknowingly enters the house when no other servants were inside. All were occupied on the grounds outside the house. And Potiphar's wife grabs him by the coat and would pull her, him upon her. But Joseph, without giving thought to the consequences, slips out of his coat and runs away. He literally flees fornication. That's the only way for godly young people to be faithful in the face of such temptation. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18, to do exactly that. Flee fornication. So Joseph flees. In the face of tremendously powerful temptation, he shows an amazing faithfulness to God. If we are to understand this amazing faithfulness, we must lay hold of what this text reveals to us concerning Joseph and his motives, his spiritual strength in the face of this powerful enticement to sin. His very perspective in the face of this temptation is a remarkable thing. Joseph's refusal of the advancements of this adulteress 
were not his fear of contracting some disease. His motivation did not arise out of being afraid that Potiphar might suddenly come home and find them. Joseph wasn't even motivated by the terror of hell. There are those who refrain from sin simply and exclusively because of their fear of the consequences. And it's also true that being increasingly given over to the sinfulness of sin, even consequences don't mean anything to men today. To many. And that's evident in in our day of, of the rampant sexual promiscuity. Men and women disregard the dangers of seriously, serious sexually transmitted diseases, unwilling to rein in the lusts of their flesh. Even so, the fear of consequences sometimes restrains some. And then there's place even among us to warn of the consequences. We're given an example of that in Proverbs 5, where the wise father, in warning his son to flee fornication, says, if you fall for her, you will bring your life into such ruin that your flesh and your body shall be consumed. The apparent excitement and fun of walking in sin is like flying a jet 500 miles an hour into the side of a mountain. But if that fear is the only motivation, or even the chief motivation, then resisting temptation is nothing godly. Joseph's chief motivation in turning away this evil woman was this, Joseph lived in fellowship with his Savior, in the knowledge of faith, loving God and enjoying his fellowship in such a way he would do nothing to destroy that fellowship. And that's the key here, people of God. Do you love God in this way? Joseph also knew that love for God is expressed toward our neighbor. First of all, that's why Joseph, in answering Potiphar's wife, first calls attention to her relationship to her husband. He who loves not the neighbor whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Joseph's love for God comes to expression in his love for Potiphar. And he loved Potiphar by honoring him, not only in his relationship as a servant to his master, but also honoring him in his wife. Notice how Joseph looks at this temptress. She is his master's wife. And that's how you young men must look upon the woman that you date. On the one hand, you ought to recognize that any woman you date is potentially your wife. And you ought not even begin to date someone who cannot fill that role from a biblical point of view. No child of God has the right 
to put an earthly relationship before his or her relationship with God. No child of God has the right even to begin dating someone who has not shown himself or herself a believer and godly in Christ Jesus. The person you date must be viewed as potentially your spouse. And you young men are to honor the young woman in that relationship. Out of spiritual love for her, you are to flee fornication. But the other side to that is this. You must also remember in your relationships prior to marriage that the person whom you are with now might not be your wife someday. She might be someone else's wife. And out of love for that future husband, you must obey the seventh commandment and flee fornication. Or out of love for her parents, you must flee that temptation. Joseph's love for God came to expression in his love for his neighbor. But as I said, his chief motivation was his own relationship to the Lord. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph knew and loved Jehovah, his God. Even from servitude in Egypt, far from the church, Joseph believed and he walked with his friend, his Savior. Joseph walked with him and talked with him. He heard God speaking with him. God had promised to save him in the Messiah who was yet to come. Even though Joseph is now separated from, from those who call themselves God's people, he knew that Jehovah, was a faithful God who keeps his covenant with all those who call upon him. And though all had forsaken Joseph, there was one who stood by him faithfully. And now shall he commit this great wickedness and sin against that God? Beloved, and especially you young people, do you love Jehovah God? with this kind of fervent, unwavering love? Is God your friend, your chief friend, whose place is usurped by no one else? Do you live in relationship with him by faith? Are you conscious of his love for you? If that's true of you, then you also shall stand with Joseph in the hour of temptation. If you live by faith, you will be able to, stay, to say, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Even though the temptation may be nearly overwhelming, this will be your stand. 
Because when you live in the fellowship of God through Jesus Christ, the grace of God is at work in you. And that grace is the power which overcomes such temptation. One of the most amazing aspects of this passage is the remarkable outcome of Joseph's faithfulness in fleeing fornication. Here too we are reminded that faithfulness to God often serves to increase our difficulty short term. We might think that Joseph, having stood with amazing faithfulness to God in the midst of such strong temptation, should be particularly blessed by God immediately. And the text shows us something quite different. Potiphar's wife, being scorned by the God-fearing young man, Joseph, was enraged. She stood there with Joseph's coat in her hand and turned from an adulteress into a deceiver. She ran out to call the other servants, putting on her act of deception making it look as real as could be that the Hebrew had tried to force himself upon her. They would be her witnesses. They waited until her, and then she waited until her husband came home, repeated the same story to him. And understandably, taking his wife's word for truth, Potiphar's wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. That's an astounding consequence to faithfulness to God, isn't it? Joseph walks in obedience to God, and the consequence is that he loses his position, He loses his comfortable way of life. He loses his respect. He loses what little earthly freedom he has. And he's placed in prison to rot away the rest of his life. But this outcome is also for our example. We may expect that sometimes our obedience to God will increase our difficulty in the world. That belongs to the very nature of serving a holy God in the midst of an unholy world. And you young people will experience this, even as have we who are older. It was true of Jesus, shall it not be true of us? When you walk in faithfulness to God's will and deliberately reject the temptations you face, you may expect, at the very least, that your peers are going to mock and ridicule you for it. You may expect that the world will look upon you as a fool, And in some situations, a stand for righteousness might even involve persecution. 
God is testing you. But don't forget, God turns even persecution into our profit. The story of Joseph's life will not end here in the king's prison. The ungodly will not triumph in the end while the righteous come out on the losing end. The Lord was with Joseph in all these things. The devil and his host meant this for Joseph's destruction. But they only served God's purposes. And Joseph, after much tribulation, shall be exalted. The time will come when he will become head even over Potiphar. And God will save many people through Joseph. The powers of darkness also here serve God's purpose. The same is true today. They always do and always shall and must. Ultimately, the outcome for Joseph was heaven. Perfect fellowship with God. And so it is, so it is for all you who will walk godly, trusting in Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, we stand in awe before thy wonder work of grace in the life of Joseph. And we pray that thou wilt so apply thy word to our hearts that we stand in the same confidence of faith following thee, our faithful Savior, we pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.